Hello, it's David here, and thank you for listening to The Leader. We're bringing you news, analysis, and commentary every day at 4pm, so subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Boris Johnson says the UK has a moral duty to get kids back in schools in September. The plan is there. Get everybody back in September. That's the right thing for everybody in this country. It's the right thing for pupils. But how does the Prime Minister plan to do that safely? We ask our Deputy Political Editor, Nicholas Cecil. And... People come to London especially to see the theatre because we do it well and we should be hanging on to it for dear life. Actor Simon Callow, as pantomime seasons effectively cancelled in London, what can be done to save theatre? Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, back to school in September, but how? Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Taking part in an archery lesson at an East London school earlier, Boris Johnson actually hit his target. He wasn't very far away from it. His new aim could be a bit harder to achieve. Every school open in September, every pupil back in class. Our editorial column thinks that's a worthy challenge, but wonders how the government will do it. We cannot afford to deny young people a chance to shape their future even as adults are allowed to flock to pubs and work out in gyms. So schools will come back and stay open, ministers insist, even if local lockdowns start to shut other places where people mix. But will they be safe? And what will school actually be like in an age of social distancing, something that is mostly impossible to achieve if school sites take back their full number of children? More testing and clear rules will reassure many parents, but the government's determination to get schools open is not yet being matched by clarity about how they will work. With only weeks to go, basic questions still need to be answered. Our Deputy Political Editor Nicholas Cecil is with me now. Nicholas, how does the government plan to get the schools open safely? Well, today we learned a bit more about the government's plan and what is particularly interesting for London is how they want children to get to school. The schools minister, Nick Gibb, issued a direct plea to youngsters, their parents and staff as well, to teachers as well, to try to plan school journeys without using public transport. What the capital has is a particular problem that 
so many of us use public transport that if you have schools all returning in September and also many more adults going back to work in September, then there's a danger that school buses and the tube get very crowded and then the virus starts spreading on the public transport system. So speaking to the Evening Standard, Mr Gibbs said, plan now how you will get to school or college and if it is possible for you to walk or cycle rather than getting the bus a few stops, please do. There were lots of reassuring messages, I thought, from the Prime Minister today. He seems to be concerned that parents will be a bit too scared to send their children to school. Yes, I think there's still a sizable minority of parents who are still concerned. The Evening Standard had an Ipsos Mori poll out last week which showed 54% of adults think it's the right time to bring children back to school in September, but 32% think it is too early. If you listen to scientific experts, many of them think that if you look at a risk-benefit analysis, for children, going back to school is probably the right thing to do because obviously they're missing out on lots of schooling at the moment um, and also lots of social contact uh, with their friends. There's a bigger question over the risk to the wider public from schools going back. The experts seem quite united on the fact that primary schools don't pose a big risk of leading to a surge in infections. But the issue surrounding secondary schools is a slightly different uh, degree of concern. And here the, the experts seem to disagree slightly. Certainly this morning we had Professor Russell Viner, who's the president of the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, He was saying that it's increasingly clear that older children, teenagers, probably do transmit uh, the virus as much as adults, but that schools themselves play very little role in that. Last week, though, we had Professor Neil Ferguson, and he drew up one of the key reports which led to the lockdown in the first place. And he was warning that if secondary schools all return, it can actually push up the R rate of infection by between 0.2 and 0.5, which is quite a, a, a sizable uh, increase towards if you're looking at 0.5. And that's that kind of confusing message which has put a lot of people off throughout this pandemic, Nicholas. One thing that, that is very clear, though, is that this academic year has been pretty much shattered by the coronavirus and its restrictions have followed it. With the A-level results coming out on Thursday, I think a lot of people are going to be seeing just how much disruption has been caused. Yes, well, well, we this morning we had in Scotland Nicola Sturgeon apologising for the way that they've dealt with the exams up there, admitting that lots of pupils had been treated unfairly. And so everyone will be watching what happens on Thursday in England to see whether whether that is repeated. And in, in terms of the next academic year, what everyone seems to agree on is that basically for schools all to be able to go back safely, one thing that does need to improve is the test, track and isolate system, which experts say is, is just not good enough at the moment. It really needs to improve. And one other possibility, the health minister, Helen Waitley, this morning, she wouldn't rule out that you can actually have regular testing in schools, um, which might reassure quite a few parents. She said that the government's scientific and medical advisers weren't advising that, quotes at the moment. But so that still is a possibility that that might happen. Next. 
The panto season's just about cancelled in London. Actor Simon Callow tells us how he fears for the rest of theatre. It's behind you! Oh, no, it isn't. I'm afraid it is. Panto season is pretty much cancelled in London, with four major shows announcing they can't go forward because of the pandemic. Panto, of course, is a serious business, and it's not just the money that's being lost. Those festive shows are often the first introduction to live theatre for thousands of children every year. Well, the actor Simon Cowell has written for the Evening Standard on the threats being faced by the theatre, and he joins me now. Simon... You've appeared in Panda yourself. How important is it as a way to get people into theatres? Well, it's a great financial motor, no doubt about that. And I think more than in London, in, in, in the regions, that is uh, a, a, the banker, really, for the theatres, you know, and it keeps them going. Uh, because uh, you could do two or three performances a day sometimes. You get people coming in in droves and uh, they spend money while they're there and all of that. So that's a great and important thing. But to me, much more important than that is that it, 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 it uh, lets people know that, the, that, the, 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 that it's a great thing to sit in an audience and watch a show. And, and for us as actors, it's a unique experience because if you look out there into the auditorium and the lights are always half up so you can see everybody, you do just see Britain out there. That is the nation. There's every kind of person, every ethnicity, every class, every age, astonishing uh, um, thing to see, to look out there and see ancient grand pas and great-grandpas sitting there next to babies. And that's what the condition of the theatre should be, generally. So it's a wonderful example for all of us. So, so it, that's a, you know, it, it's both a cultural and a financial catastrophe, really, that Panto has been suspended. How close are we, Simon, right now to a total catastrophe in theatre? Pretty damn close, I would say. Pretty damn close. Uh, the problem is, uh, of course, that with every passing day, it gets worse because the cost of the maintenance of the buildings is draining money away. Uh, people have been, as we hear, not only furloughed, but increasingly made redundant. I mean, by the thousand. And these are people who, on the whole, earn very little money and who have very uh, uh, special skills. Uh, that we need desperately in the theatre, uh, but if there's no uptake of their skills, then they're going to go somewhere else. We'll lose that whole fantastic uh, community of people. It's like a sort of medieval village of theatre. There are there are all these different trades who are involved in putting on a show. It's not just us. And it's not just the designers that you see, but the people who paint the set or build the set, the people who do the engineering, the people who make the costumes, who service the costumes. There's no end to it. There's absolutely no end to it. All the people front of house. It's a very person-intensive um, profession, uh, the, the theatre. I mean, as opposed to just acting or directing or writing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just afraid the whole fabric will fall apart. I, I'm also, you know, worried uh, to a lesser degree that people will get so accustomed to getting all their entertainment from a television screen or a, a laptop screen that they'll just kind of forget what the theatre is all about 
and and the theatre is you know it's not cheap particularly but it is unique it's just an extraordinary thing now you have managed to get a little bit of live performance in yourself would you write about in the standard in a little cafe in clerkenwell as a performer how did that feel? It must have been quite cathartic for you it was extraordinarily strange in a way um I sort of wondered if I'd forgotten how to do it because it was a slightly unusual arrangement. It was a cafe, as you say, it's a very posh cafe, but it's a cafe nonetheless. And there were people socially distanced from each other and from me, the people on, up on one level and then, then right over in the corner there, and there's another person crouching somewhere down there. And I thought, how will I ever manage to convey the spirit of Charles Dickens? Because that's who I was trying to evoke. After about five minutes, it just felt as if I'd been there all my life. The audience, who initially were a little bit tentative, I, I think I think they'd sort of lost the habit of, of watching somebody standing up and talking to them. And uh, after about five minutes, uh, they were just listening. I mean, which is the thing you want more than anything else in the theatre is, is that concentration of people just, you know, listening to a story and just going, wanting to know what's going to happen next. And, and, and then, and then, of course, Dickens being Dickens, it's fantastically funny and people started to laugh and really get into it. And it was suddenly the place was alight and alive and full of a kind of, as I say, contagious joy, which is uh, the thing that, you know, you can only get in by performing in front of people. I mean, for the, for the time that I was there, it became a theatre, a rather oddly shaped theatre but a theatre nonetheless we both got it the audience and I am by the end it was rather touching you know because that's the marvel of theatre itself and that you can do it anywhere but London has these beautiful theatres and they need to be filled again don't they Simon and the government is putting against 1.57 billion into helping the arts but if people don't go back if they don't go flooding back into those theatres it's all going to be for naught, isn't it? Well, I mean, I, I suppose it would be reasonable to expect people to be a bit tentative to begin with. But I, I think that the moment they really start going, they'll, it'll, the momentum will build up pretty quickly. And once people have, just as in restaurants, now people have figured out it's okay to be in a restaurant. You're not going to die the moment you cross the, 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 you know, the, the door. It's that sort of a imaginative gymnasium of theatre. It, it, it's... It, it tests out muscles that aren't, you know, used during the day. And I, I don't think we'll ever find a substitute for that. I think that's exactly um, what I look for. And, and, and I think many other people look for that is, is you know, a, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trip. You get out of your usual groove and you're into another whole mode of being. I cannot believe that that will die. And I also think it's maybe a part of feeling like an essential bit of London itself, because London is it's the home of Shakespeare. It's the it's where Olivia made his great performances. It's where Charles Dickens did his one man shows that you, that you did as well, Simon, uh, as Charles Dickens. Without theatre, without performance, this city is not it's not London, is it? No, I mean, it's a very theatrical place. And it's a very strange thing that probably puzzles uh, people in many other countries that this nation it has an extraordinary gift for theatre. 
an extraordinary instinct for theatre. And when I say theatre, I mean it in its broadest sense. You see it in pageant as well. I mean, nobody can do those things. Coronations, royal weddings. We do it very, very well. We have a, an extraordinary instinct for it. And it's been true at least since the 16th century. And it's never really stopped. The world tends to acknowledge that, you know. And people come to London especially to see the theatre, because we do it well. It's not something which, 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 which we no longer need. It's something we need more, of course, now than we ever have done, which is what's been so bizarre for all of us about this, this pandemic, is that we should be out there, you know, on the front line, actually cheering people up, diverting them, engaging them, trying to make sense of what's happening to them, sharing the weirdness of it all. But we can't do that. We can't do that in the flesh. We can do it on television, we can do it on Zoom, but real life will always be better than Zoom. And you can read Simon Cowell's column in the Evening Standard newspaper or online at standard.co.uk. And that's The Leader. Remember, we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.